0: Okay, that's rolling. Okay, so this is uh, one of our first episodes. Uh, I'm Justin Lovell, and we're going to be talking with Stuart Campbell, who has a background in the agency world, and made a transition into cinematographer, and now has, uh, with awards as a CSC cinematographer, been nominated, and uh, he's going to talk about, or a little about, why having a good, strong idea is super important as a cinematographer and uh, his background isn't necessarily on the tech side, so for those of you out there who are looking to see how you can make a move, not being as technically minded, but very strong in the story and and creative and idea side of things, this will be one you want to listen to. Welcome. Hi.
1: What stuff are you taking with you on the trip? Like gear wise? Yeah. Uh, very little. Just, well, I probably shouldn't be taking anything, but, like I always travel with a few things. Yeah. If I'm shooting, like I travel with my easier, and I'm traveling with some shape handles. I think that's it in terms of like gear.
0: The shape handles. Do you get the telescopic ones or the regular ones? The telescopic ones. They're wicked, right? And they come in black. They come in full black now. I use them in um, gun mode or whatever. Like if you do low hand low hand mm-hmm. handle stuff. Do you ever put the one arm so it bends out and up? So you yeah. can hold it here oh. and the back arm. Oh back yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know all about that. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. like...
1: Sometimes I prefer that to using the easy rig too. And I always find there's always some little bit you can kind of like rest on your belt just to hook it <laughs> in so you have a little bit of leverage, you know, so it's not too
0: heavy. Yeah, once I got those, I was super happy. I use them on like, all, like any job. I do any handhold.
1: See, it's funny. Everyone's different because yeah. every handle that I've used before, your hands were, you know, like this. Yeah. And my arms would just get exhausted. So then I got super long ones. Like I want to dig my elbows into my ribs. Yeah. So I can just like, because for every reason, this is really comfortable. So then when I got these, I realized, I'm like, oh, I can turn the handles in. You know what I mean? Like you can flip them in. Yeah. I can just sit there all day. I just feel more supportive comfortable. You know? Yeah.
0: Guy Godfrey. You, you know guy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had one them custom make with so it's little... right in the center. So he just doesn't have like that offset of one
1: side or the other. Mm-hmm. There's also I got a um like I'm not techie, but I like comfort. So I always try and hunt out things that are the most comfortable. But I did get focus, follow focus. Like it has a normal dial that you focus with and then it has this metal piece that comes down that has a little platform on it that you can rest on your palm. No, so that's, that's one thing that happened to me is that um, back
0: here in my shoulder, I get these crazy knots from operating and it's not even the hand that's supporting any weight, it's this hand from reaching around mm-hmm. to get to the camera. And so they had me doing like, all these like, physio exercises to try and get this knot from developing in there. I think it's just from over... <coughs> do
1: you do any like, workout things yourself? I just, I play a lot of baseball in the summer and then I I snowboard in the winter. I did when I was 15 in Ontario. For like a season, I got rocked really badly, and I was like, "This is <laughs> concrete stupid. powder." Yeah, I'm just like this is awful. Never doing this again. And then I did a job in Banff. It was a photo shoot for Sportcheck, and like, oh, you're gonna bring some stuff, you're gonna ride. I'm like, no, it's stupid. Like I, I, hate that sport. Never doing it again. And then we got to like the top, and I was like, what is this? Like powder, because I'd never seen powder before. There's no like here, you know. It's like snow on top of ice. So, and then I just took it up again. So I've been doing it since. It's been about six years.
0: Yeah. Well, you have to let me know because I I grew up, our whole family was ski instructors and snowboard instructors that I teach. I mean, that's one of the things that, that actually like really helped me at cinematography was teaching in front of people and talking to people and building relationships. Within an hour, you need to like make friends with someone and teach them how to snowboard and encourage them. Yeah, You take that same thing onto a set, you got to build a relationship with your whole crew like right away. Yeah, And then Once you build that relationship, you have to encourage them and make Mm. them want to be there and enjoy it. Even when things like get hard and difficult, I owe a lot to snowboard instructing.
1: Yeah. I owe a lot to rollerblade instructing because that's what I did. How'd you get into that? It was post-baseball. Like I was huge into baseball when I was younger. It's just the whole like got injured, kind of fell out of it. Didn't really have a lot of support to get back into it. And I just started hanging out with a couple friends in the area start skateboarding and then they picked up rollerblading and I was like, Well, okay, I guess I'll start rollerblading and then I just kept up with it. I eventually started competing and traveling and I had like sponsors and and then I ended up teaching at Woodward Camp.
0: Oh no, you were at Woodward. Yeah.
1: So I was teaching there cool. for about ten years.
0: Which uh yeah. which Woodward were you at?
1: PA, Pennsylvania. I went out there once on this little tour, and I was like, what? Like, that was the place everybody wanted to go to, right? Once I was there, I was like, oh, how do I, how do I come back here for free? I am like, oh, well, you can come teach next year because I didn't have papers to work. So I went there, taught for one year, and I just had to keep going back. So then I got, you can get like this camp visa, it's only good for a summer. So I get that every year for about six months of the year, for about 10 years. Yeah. yeah once I started going there, I basically stopped. Like, I still competed a bit, but. Everyone who's anyone usually went there, so you got to skate with a bunch of cool people. And it was like the best facilities you've ever skated. There's no reason to go anywhere else. Like, you never got bored.
0: Do you know Sylvan Shouse? He pretty much runs a lab over it now. Oh yeah, lab? Suki. Oh, that's his name? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. They call,
1: some guys call him Suki yeah. okay, or yeah. Sushi. Yeah, yeah
0: he um, always sends us, like some 16-mil uh, yeah. to scan and stuff because he's always shooting film. But did you do did you a lot of filming too when you were skating?
1: I just naturally just started shooting. I met the guy, there's a guy there, Dave Payne, who, who shot, there's like an annual video that they always did, and he shot that, and then we started hanging out, and then I just picked up the camera, and then I just started helping him shoot. So I helped shoot that video for a bunch of years, but it was weird that I never thought about that as like a job. It was just something that you just do. Yeah. Also, I didn't like being on camera, so when we would all go skating, and guys were doing tricks, I'm like, okay, well, I'll go grab the camera. So I would be the one shooting all yeah. you know, the tricks that were going down and not actually getting filmed, which was I was fine with because I hate it. Did you do the editing and stuff like that too? No. no, I did a little bit of editing, but not really.
0: For you, then was that like your first step into f- filmmaking, or was there something else that kind of got you started?
1: At that point, I didn't, I didn't take it as a career or anything like that. That's when I got into advertising, actually. Yeah, well, I took some, I took photo in high school, and I enjoyed it. But then they, you know they tell you like, there's no successful photographers, you'll never get a job. So, I just stopped taking it, and then that was that. But I literally didn't pick up another camera until until I got to Woodward.
0: And when you were in high school, were you doing uh, darkroom developing?
1: Yeah, it's funny, <laughs> I was just talked about this the other day, because I'm actually getting back into... I just bought a hotspot and I started shooting some in format, just, like, I just need something else.
0: Film back or digital back? Film back.
1: Cool. Yeah. Just to have something else to do on the side. The idea of that process really interests me, so... 'Cause I've never shot film. Like so,
0: no, no background with uh, motion pictures,
1: super eight, sixteen. No. no, every time I've tried to, it's been it just hasn't been a reality for what I was shooting. I don't know. I just feel like I, I want to experience like shooting something with no pressure. It's like up to me. If I don't get it, I don't get it. However it turns out it turns out, like I get to experiment with like no no handcuffs, like no, it's just me. So I don't have to answer to anybody. If the whole world's blank, it's blank. It doesn't matter, there's no you know what I mean, like it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because a lot of people have come from a background in shooting on film, but yours is is different. Where you started as a creative mm-hmm. instead of starting as just saying
1: you're going to be a DP off the top. So when I was at camp, I'd always been computer savvy. Like I'd always played with Photoshop, and I did do a graphic design, not an internship, but a placement out of high school. Yeah, sure. Like co-op, and then when I got to camp, I just you know, guys like, oh, like who knows how to like cut this out and put this image on this or whatever it was. So I just got into doing that. And then one day this guy was like, you know, guys get paid to do that as a job. Like, what do you mean? And he basically described it as guys who go to coffee shops, smoke cigarettes on patios, write down ideas on napkins, take those back and present them to clients and those become commercials and print ads and all these different mediums. And I was like, that sounds cool. How do I do that? I ended up looking up a school and there happened to be one in Toronto. So I went to OCAD. I kind of lied my way in, and I got in. (laughs) Then I was, uh, I took the advertising program. And out of school, I got a job at uh, this agency called Doug. Uh, I just worked at a a bunch of different agencies for about 10 years. What made you
0: decide that, you know, you wanted to make a transition
1: from creative director that you were? No, I was, uh, I never wanted to be creative director. That's probably the reason why I got out. Because I think the idea is you get into advertising, you know, you intern, you junior, you intermediate, you senior become an associate creative director then you become a creative director then you have your own agency and you're an ECD or whatever but I always liked doing the work and it was clear to me being in the UC, watching how creative directors work that they weren't their job was a lot different like they were managing they were obviously controlling the creative but it just seemed like such a small part of their day where they had to take care of meetings take care of staff like hiring firing new business you know like there, it just didn't seem like a job that I wanted because I liked doing the work I was just A senior and at that time I was at the best agency in Canada and I was a senior and I was like if this is it this sucks I'm like I can't I'm out like I gotta do something else like my ceiling like I could just see doing that at other places it just wasn't fulfilling enough and also I think it's the like the way the industry was just changed like I had an amazing three years at this one agency I could argue that we were the best agency in the world like we we literally won everything we pitched everyone was winning awards maybe like six or seven things a month like you're busy and you're working on half good stuff and half just like you know money makers for the agency they didn't mandate it but they did mandate it that you did your own personal work on the side so while you're doing maple leaf or whatever like lawblahs canadian tire or whatever you're doing less creative work on the outside of that time, you're working on whatever you wanted and they would find a client to give it to. So you could come up with like, oh I have this great idea for a baseball bat. You come up with an idea for a baseball bat, you get it produced and then you find a client to give it to. So you were balancing, you know, not so creative work with creative work. And then that all changed. Like those kind of ads were called dog walkers. Basically industry wide, they said you couldn't enter a dog walker into an award show. So then everyone who worked in DocWords were like, well, if I can't get an award for it, then I'm not going to work on it. Wow. So then you just, all that creativity just kind of disappeared.
0: Yeah, no kidding.
1: And then it turned into, well, you can only get awards for your everyday clients. It's not impossible, but it's really hard. Yeah. That's Especially just... if you have a roster of not good clients. Yeah,
0: that's a challenge. Yeah. At that point, I guess you decided you still wanted to be creative and you had to find a way... Mm -hmm. to have that outlet somehow.
1: Yeah, like part of it was the variety. Like when I was at that last agency, I worked on this amazing campaign that we worked on. It was probably the best thing I've done or I did at that point in my career. But we worked on that one thing for a year and it was horrible. It's like, they didn't have enough clients to to have multiple teams working on multiple different campaigns. So you're on one, one client and that was it. So I was at my desk literally every day for almost a year. Now it's just super bored. I can't just be in my desk. This is a desk job now, Where before. You're producing so much that half the month you're at your desk, half the month you're over the photographer, you're on a commercial, you're whatever, you know. The, the lifestyle changed for me.
0: So the transition from being in the agency world to becoming a cinematographer, did you make a decision to start branding yourself as a cinematographer or did you just kind of fall nope. into
1: it? I was really quiet about it for a long time actually when I first thought about it it was before I went to that my last full-time agency I was still telling people like what do you have to do to get into shooting because I had some friends who were directors and some friends who were shooters so I kind of just started asking questions and seeing what it would take to get in and then actually on that job Mark Zebra was directing and I told him I was like hey man I'm thinking about becoming a DP he's like oh that's awesome so on this job you're going to do everything that DP does and normally an agency person doesn't you show up you know, for pre-pro and then you're just on the job. I was there for like all the location scouting. I went to like literally all the meetings that DP went to, almost. And then I just built a rapport with the DP and I just hung around with him for most of the job. It was Matthias Verude, I don't know if you know him. He's a Swedish guy, he's amazing. But it was really good just to be in it at that level because it's a huge production, it's like a massive production. So it was really good to be in it and seeing how it worked at that level. It was like the best. It was the best education I ever could have got because there were things that went wrong, there were things that went perfect. It was and seeing it from both sides. It was just I couldn't have asked for a better education at that point. Did you work immediately in larger production work, or did you do some smaller things where it's kind of like one man band things? No, I did a lot of smaller things just to start applying what I knew and st- like learning the gear and learning just learning more about the craft itself. I did a few sm- very small. I just come up with these ideas and then I find somebody and we go shoot something. And most of the time it was just me and that other person. And I did do, after that one agency, I did work at uh, another agency for about six months. This guy hired me on to, he wanted me to help revitalize his, uh, his agency. And uh, I told him, like, look, man, I'm out. Like, I'm not into being a creative director or an art director anymore. I'm trying to get into DPing. And he basically said, great, well, come in any ideas that you come up with, you can be the DP on all those jobs. I was like, okay, great. I'm in. So there were a couple of jobs that I did. They weren't challenging jobs in terms of what the idea was. Like one of them was literally one shot on a crane. My friend Paul, who's the producer on it, he just assembled the right crew. So there wasn't a time for me to do. And I relied very heavily on, on Paul and the crew that I met on that day. I did a lot of those little jobs. And I got lucky doing some other jobs with some directors that I made friends with over the years. There's one spot that actually became a Super Bowl spot. This <laughs> was random. But that was like my first like real job. It was an agency from the States who just won Pizza Hut. And they had a relationship with the director that I knew, Henry. And they said, "Yo, yeah, we want to show them what kind of work we can do. Can we just come up there and shoot something really quick? We have a bit of money. So they really stretched it and it just turned into, I think it was two or three days. There's like like 80 casts. It was a big shoot. I had no idea what I was doing. But it ended up being a Super Bowl spot. Like they took it and they they loved all the footage and they ended up running it during the Super Bowl. So that was kind of my first like real job. Do you
0: find that you're work as a DP. Some cinematographers, it's not always the case, but some of them may be more focused on lighting. Some might be more focused on, on story, maybe more focused on composition. Mm-hmm. What do you feel, because
1: of, of your background, is kind of like your strong suit there? In advertising, everything's the idea. You can't just go to any client and say, hey, here are a bunch of cool looking images. Let's make this into a commercial, right? And the way it works, like I don't know, a lot of people know, but you sit down with your, usually your partner, so you, there's usually two of you, so I was an art director, my partner was a writer, we'd get a brief and then we'd sit down for hopefully three weeks, like a lot of times it was shorter, but generally you get about three weeks and you just come up with as many ideas as possible. Anything you can think of, you get down on paper, you basically present that internally and they like whittle it down, whittle it down, whittle it down until you have like three strong ideas. And once you have that, you basically just flush it out, do scripts, you do storyboards, any references you can find, any extensions. So usually it was like TV script, print ad, radio. So you always had to go to your client with those three because that was, at that point, that was your campaign. Like it was before social media, it was before Facebook posts or banner ads or anything like that. The decks that we were building, they were, a lot of them, the ones that I had to do because of the creative director I had, they were drawn. So you would have to draw five frames, the best five frames that best show that idea that you're presenting. For me, like that's the way that I work essentially is like I really look for what the idea is and then apply what I feel or whatever we feel is the best image that tells or speaks to that idea. I think I'm very idea driven, purely just because I was, you know, the amount of campaigns I had to do in 10 years and having to sell ideas Everything I look at, it, it's, it's based on the idea. Personally speaking, if, you, if there's not a strong idea, it just doesn't make it as good, regardless of what it is. And it's not to say that things can't obviously be shot well, or, or you know, like you can have the most beautiful thing. Like you can shoot the most be- like you get the best camera, you get the best lenses, you can get the best cast. Everything can be perfect, but if there's no idea, it's like, it's a flaw. You know what I mean? Like I don't wanna, I don't wanna offend anybody, Saying that, but like when I watch movies, if there's not a strong idea, I'm kind of like that, eh. like regardless of what it looks like.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's that. I mean, that speaks for the kind of work that you've done. And one thing that you, you'll see, like, if people go to AFI or the film schools out there, that's that the most important thing is storytelling. All the other stuff aside, if you don't have a good story, or as you're saying, a good idea, it's like paramount. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm, totally. The best imagery ultimately comes from a good idea. If I tell you to go shoot a flower. If I say the title is, I don't know, Love and War and You Go Shoot a Flower, and then I get somebody else and I say, okay, well, I want you to go shoot a flower. The title is Love and War. It's about the relationship between a mother and a daughter and like a husband or whatever, and I, and I fill out that, that idea. I would say the chances are that that second guy, that photo will be better because there's more detail, pay attention to what he's shooting. Like the first one might be technically beautiful and perfect but i think because the idea is intertwined with what he was shooting the second guy when he went inevitably will be better and i've seen movies that you could argue that the cinematography was horrible but because the idea was so good you almost don't even see it that's how i approach what i shoot it's like tell me what the idea is first
0: even like what you were saying before,
1: about having like three weeks to
0: be in pre-production on an idea and developing and really like nurturing that idea and just having the time to like really flush it out, I think that can really make a story way stronger. Yeah. Now, working at it from the side of a DP versus the side of an agency, do you feel you're missing out on some of that pre-production time or you have to work faster to work and and develop the idea or is the idea even even yours to control as
1: much as it was when you were working in an agency? On this side, it's definitely different because you'd hope by the time that you get it and you get the scripts and you get the, the treatment that the idea is already in there and then simply just understanding what the idea is and figuring out a cool way to apply imagery to it. But the problem with a lot of commercials is the ideas these days aren't as strong. Then sometimes it just becomes, it kind of just turns into capturing imagery with a, like a very loose idea. I was something the other day and it's all about, you're supposed to obstruct the person that you were seeing until the end. And there was one shot where it could have gone one of two ways. The way the agency wanted it was they wanted to see this guy through the space. Like they, want, they wanted the focus to be on him. And it wasn't the reveal shot. And it didn't make any sense. Like we were shooting, basically we were shooting a mailbox, a piece of mail arrives, and you see a hand go in and grab it. And you're not supposed to see that person until the end of the commercial. In that frame, you couldn't see that person, but you could kind of see who it was. So based on their idea that that person had to be obscured, the focus should have been on the mail in the mailbox. And that to me, it just makes perfect sense. It is what it is. But it's definitely harder being on this side. Like, you can only say, like, hey, this is what I think. But at the end of the day, it's it's their choice. And if they don't have the clearest vision of their own idea, there's nothing you can do about it. You kind of just have to lay it down.
0: Yeah, and I've been through that a number of times too where you kind of put your hand up and you're like oh you know maybe it would be better if we did this but at that point like the agency's been with that creative idea for three weeks Mm -hmm. you come in like that last week and they want you to be involved but only to a point where you can't change their concept even though you see flaws in it or you see something Mm -hmm. that could that could improve it you have to be careful I guess in the way you present your
1: ideas not to
0: disturb the project. Yeah,
1: yeah. And then it's, you know, at the end of the day, too, it's a commercial. It's like, like, I love shooting commercials. Like, I love shooting anything that has a good idea. There are some really, really good commercials. But at the end of the day, if someone's coming in, and they're from whoever, you know, Coke, and they paid all this money, you can only make suggestions. At the end of the day, if they say, you know, we're gonna shoot the floor, we're gonna shoot the floor. So you can do your best, but at the end of the day, you're still delivering footage to them that they're gonna use for their campaign or whatever it is. Like it's good when you can affect it. Like when you and the director can sit down and then you can sit with the agency and help make their ideas better. Like those are the jobs that are, that are amazing. But there are some jobs where it's just, it is what it is. That's fine, it's totally fine, but it's just a different, it's just different from when I was in it. I remember when I was in our director, it was very hands-off. Like you came up with an idea, you chose a director, they chose a DP, they came up with, you know, their own concepts based on your idea. You, you picked the best one. You're on set, but they were, they were just make, they were making, they were turning your idea into like an art piece almost, you know? Where now I think it's just the industry is so much different that there's less of that happening. The main difference now than when I was in advertising is basically, I think it's the right theory if you do all the research. But when I was in agencies, I don't know that there was more money, but there were more clients on retainer. So they would give an agency a chunk of money at the beginning of the year, they would have to deliver a certain amount of campaigns within that time, but they know how much money they had. There wasn't a worry of, you know, are we going to make our numbers this month? Like the agency workflow was a lot more streamlined because they knew how much money they had. But then people started shooting things, shooting like smaller jobs, smaller cameras, 5Ds, things like that for less money. So then. Clients were like, you know, I'm not going to give you all this money at the beginning of the year. I'm going to give you some of it, if any of it. We're going to now do project-to-project project jobs. So agencies then had less clients to retainer, less money coming into the agency, less money to play with. Just by that happening, it was a lot harder to, to work an idea with a client so that you made it better. Because the last thing you want to do now is you, want to, you don't want to upset your client. Because at this point, they can just go somewhere else. And then that little money that you do have that's coming in is now gone to somebody else. So it's a lot harder to sit in a room and fight for an idea because everybody knows that a client needs to be like, you know what, this isn't working out. I'm going to go across the street. So it's a lot harder to fight for ideas. Therefore, worse ideas are getting chosen. And it's a lot harder commercially to do better work. Because now the agency isn't in charge. The client's in charge. Not that the, before it was more of a partnership. And it was like, we are an agency. You hired us to work on your idea. We all went to school for four years. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this was a profession. Like, you're going to come to me. I'm going to sit down and come up. With good ideas for you, for your brand. We'll execute it. And you'll make X amount, whatever. But now it's like, what can we do to make you happy? Right. Oh, this is what you want? Here you go. Do you like it? Great. Let's make it. It's a lot harder for agencies to fight for their ideas. And then you see that on set. Like I've been on sets where you hear on the radio, clients, okay, we're good to move. And it's like, we haven't shot, like, we're all not happy with that shot, but they're like, no, we're good, we love it, let's move on. And that's also why I got out. It's just, it was too hard of a fight. Like you weren't getting any support from your own agency because they were like, you know, we gotta keep this client, we gotta keep them happy. Let's just shove that, shove that little idea you had. It's fine, don't worry about it. We'll get them on the next one.
0: Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of factors that kind of making it hard to stay creative. Mm -hmm. Like the awards thing and
1: not accepting. I know, that to me was the craziest thing. And then the even crazier thing to me was I just realized that those guys didn't actually enjoy working on that stuff. All they wanted was to win awards. Because I was still like, hey man, I got this cool idea, let's go shoot this thing. And they're like, well, what's it for? I'm like, oh, it's just to do. We're going to give it to whatever company, like PSA. Like I did a lot of not-for-profit stuff. But then people were less interested in working on that stuff because they weren't getting an award for it and that to me was really disappointing because it's just like you, could, you don't even want to sit down and just work on something fun and amongst all this normal uncreative work you have to do it still blows my mind
0: yeah and I've seen that recently too in some of the work that we've done where other cinematographers have come to us who are guys are extremely well established they were you know in the 90s they're doing music videos atop their game winning all these awards all the stuff getting all these accolades and now they're not getting the same kind of awards because they're not the hot fresh kind of guy and they want to work on PSAs they want to work on stuff because they realize their passion is actually in creating something that fulfills them as a cinematographer not just fulfills the boys club that gives them the awards Mm -hmm. and like you know, I feel rah-rah, I got this award, this is amazing, you know. Internally, they're realizing that they need something more, and which is like what you've gone through, but not from the cinematography side, but from mm. the agency side. But you're still doing work that kind of fulfills
1: you on your creative end of things. Yeah. I still find that it's still hard to find some people just to shoot something. I think the industries are a little bit similar because you get hired for the best work that you've done. As an agency, as a cinematographer, as a director, as whoever. Like, you get hired for the best work that you've done. Or you get eyes on your work for the best work that you've done. If you're working on jobs that aren't really for your reel and are really a true representation of you as a director, cinematographer, whoever, but you're working, like, you're not you're not really moving forward in your career that way because you're not filling your reel with the type of creative work that's at the level that you, that represents you and represents yep. what you want to do. I don't know, I feel like a lot of people just don't understand that because you can be a super busy DP, cinematographer, director, whatever, but if you're not working on creative things that people are interested in and that you can actually put on your reel, like your true reel, like this is the best work that I've done, but you're not moving forward. You have nothing to show. I don't think a, a ton of people understand that that, that like that concept of, you know, you need to be doing stuff on the side if you're not shooting stuff that's that you can put on your reel as a true representation of you and what you want to do. So that concept, I think, is, it's just really hard for some people to understand because I've come up with, like I've sat down with, you know, a lot of people over the years and we've come up with cool ideas, but they've gotten sidetracked or they've gotten busy or they haven't put time towards that thing which inevitably would probably do more for them than what they put it off to work on. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Like I have a friend who wants to get into narrative work and he's like, he's a busy director. He's busy. But the work that he's getting is the same and he's bored of it. He's like, I want to get into more narrative pieces. So I said, well, let's come up with something. So we've been working on something slowly, but obviously there are bills that have to get paid and all that but he's not really applying the time to work on the stuff that will get him to where he wants to go. And you can't wait for it because you're not gonna get, if you don't have strong narrative work on your reel, no one's gonna call you for narrative. That's just the reality of, you know, people wanna see something relatively close to what they want to get done. That's why I'm actively always trying to find people who just wanna make stuff, and make stuff that they actually wanna put on their reel. Like there's two kinds of different, there's two types of reels, you know what I mean? Like, but there's a reel that you show people to say, hey, look, I can work. I've done a bunch of jobs. Check it out. Here's a ton of work. I can show you anything you want. You want to see babies and puppies? I got babies and puppies. You want to see, you know, wine glasses? I got wine glasses. You want to see popcorn? I got popcorn. But that's not a representation of the type of work they want to be getting. Their true reel is the best work that they've done. And that's, to me, your your true, real—like that's the real—that should be out that people can see when they look for you. They don't want to see Canadian Tire commercials. Sorry, <laughs> they don't want to see if it's a good Canadian Tire commercial. Yes, but you know what I mean. Like they don't want to see the stuff that isn't at the highest point of your creativity.
0: Yeah, and that's not necessarily the kind of work that you want to be getting anyways. There are jobs that they need to know that they can trust that you can execute something. Totally, 100%. And when they see that brand, they see that name, they see the client base that you have behind you, it's like, okay, we can trust him. They trust him, we can trust him. So sometimes it's good to invest totally. in those things for your own. Oh, 100%. You know, you got to have a career. You got to you got to
1: make some money. You can't be a complete totally, starving artist. 100%. <laughs> like you should be taking those jobs, but those aren't the jobs that you should be Undo your name when somebody looks you up. Like that should be, the way that I think it works is, and this is kind of how I worked when I was an art director. You look for, like you type in whoever, blah, 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 blah. blah. Let's just say, I want to use my (laughs) name. Let's say Justin, I'm going to look up Justin. Because I heard he did some rad music videos. Oh, great site. Love this, love this, love this. These are all amazing. Yes, I know that I'm working on a paper towel commercial. But I really like all this work, so let's call him. Hey man, really like your work. Would love to hire you for this job. Do you by any chance have anything that's a little bit more commercial? Yeah, here's a link. Here's a private link, have a look. Great, you're on the job. Like that to me is kind of the way that I think it works most of the time. Because for me, as when I was an art director, I was like, I wanna work with the guys who are doing the best stuff. Like I wanna see the guys who are the most creative. It wasn't only that I wanted them to work on my job, but it was also that when I had a side job or I had that small creative opportunity, I knew I could call them to work on it. But if I was like, typed in Justin, and I just saw like a blanket full of just like work, I'm like, okay, well, I know this guy can do the work, but I don't know. I, I can't trust his creative sensibilities, judged on, you know, what he's decided to show as his own brand, you know? Um,
0: yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, especially hearing that from the other side of it because mm-hmm. as dps when we come to making a reel it's like ah, oh, okay so do i make a reel with just my interviews so they know i can do interviews do i make a reel that just shows you know just all my car stuff and all my product stuff because yeah. i want to get that kind of work it's like you don't know what yeah to-
1: it's totally it's totally tricky like and i don't know that that that's the way that i approach things when i was an art director and that's the way that i assemble my site now that's the method that I use because my theory is that if you're good, you will get work. Regardless, like, if you are good, whatever you do, if you are good at it, you will get work. And again, it's kind of like, I'll, I'll tell you this story. <laughs> I love telling the story. So, this is when I was at, uh, I was at this agency called John Street, and uh, we were working on a Maple Leaf commercial, and it was a, um, it was a rhyme. It was about this girl who wanted a ham sandwich, but she couldn't have it because of the preservatives, she can only have jam sandwiches or something like that. Anyways, it was a super simple, it was like, you know, the majority of the spot was this girl sitting at a table in the lunchroom. Cut to like her mom in the kitchen for one shot, back to her, relatively simple. So we picked a director. They, picked, they had picked a known, one of the busier DPs in the city. And then something fell through relatively close to. He backed out at a point where we had to scramble to find somebody else. And she had put forward this is before reels on computers existed. It was like you you asked for somebody, they would send you a DVD. So the director was like, hey, so, you know, the original DP is not available. Will you check this guy out? I want to use him. So that DVD came through to Michelle, the producer. Michelle's like, oh, so they sent this reel. Have a look and see if you're okay with this guy shooting this commercial. I'm like, cool. So, take it, take out the DVD, put it in. And literally, District 9 starts playing. And this is when District 9 came out. And it was like the biggest movie. It was everywhere. So I take the DVD out. And i like, look, it's blank. It's just like a blank DVD. Put it back in. District 9 starts playing. So I'm like, hey, Michelle, do you know District 9 is on this? She's like, oh, yeah, 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 he shot that. And I was like, what? Are you asking me if I think... The guy who shot District Nine can shoot this little girl at the table? Just get him. Like, obviously, like this it wasn't even a question to me. And I know that's not true in all scenarios, but he that like that piece is at a level that you just assume that 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 guy can shoot a little girl locked off eating sandwich in the lunchroom. Like, I'll never forget that, and that's kind of the way that I work. It's like you want to show your best stuff. You want people to assume that you're. I don't wanna say, in some cases, better than you are. Or you wanna you want to come across as a competent, creative, well-known DP, and then when they ask you for work if they need it to sell it to somebody else, you have it. And then you send them the link and you have that stuff. Yeah, I just think it's very important to, to know who you are, the type of work that you wanna get, and then curate your work in a certain way that you're not only attracting that kind of work, but you're also Hopefully, putting out that you know you're capable of doing other things, yeah. that might be less like whatever you know what I mean like I want to say less, but just different than maybe just could be having your real yeah a It's like it. if you went to if you went to whoever's son you saw like a bunch of features, like I don't think you question the I could shoot you know somebody running down a the street there's a certain I think there's a certain amount of trust that you, that you give when you see a piece of that size or something of that level of creativity, you know.
0: I guess it'd be good to get into also like the, if I have it right, you've got two CSC awards last year and this year.
1: I got nominated last year last year, I won this year.
0: And these projects that, yeah, it's just, that's great. And it's amazing. Yeah. The projects that you were working on, if I have it right, those were your more doc work?
1: Yeah. One, one was a short that a director came and was like, oh, I have this idea. I'm like, oh, let's make it into like a little short and let's like actually like do it you know? And it came out really well. It's one of my favorite pieces. And the other one was a doc.
0: Yeah. Those two projects that you worked on, how heavily were you involved in
1: the idea? Oh, from like the beginning. Like the, the if piece, uh, the director had an idea and she wanted to shoot portraits and she wanted to get the emotion of people through portraiture using film. So... Yeah, just through like us working together, we brought in an editor that I knew. And we all just sat down, we like worked on the idea and then it turned into it turned into black and white. I think it turned into super slow. The thing that really does it for me anyway is the audio. So that was something that came later. to we just talked about like it needs something else. It can't just be a bunch of emotions and like a track.
0: Your website mm-hmm. is a good representation of that as well. The way you've got
1: that laid out with the main page right now, at least. Yeah. But I think it's it's always funny because I think it works it works well, but like I like how it looks on my site like that, but it doesn't mean anything. To, you know what I mean? Like there's no audio, so you don't know what it is. Yeah. So it's kind of one of those for the opening of a website. I think it's it looks good. It's great. It's
0: engaging. Yeah. It's super slick. Super clean. Like you can tell you put a lot of thought into the way that you have yourself represented or presented mm-hmm. on the site.
1: Yeah. Stuart Campbell, Com.
0: You're you're obviously not coming from the tech side of things, coming from more of the creative and uh, idea side of things. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to, him, to somebody asking you about technical details to choose a camera system or to choose lighting packages, how do you find those answers? Uh, I think it,
1: it, it depends. It goes project to project, but like we were talking before, I'm not super, I would say I'm not super technical in terms of gear and all that stuff especially now i think just the way that cameras are super sensitive and a little bit of light goes a long way i feel bad sometimes because you know you're on these commercial jobs and guys will set up like a bunch of lights you're like turn that off turn that off turn that off and then you're using like one light bouncing off like a piece of fabric and that's it and a lamp and guys feel like super bored and they're you know in the corner like oh, why am i here but i think a li- you can do a lot with a little and i think that's just the way that it Just the way that I like to work. I don't like a lot of gear around. I don't like a lot of cables. I just want to shoot things as naturally as possible. Like, obviously, it depends on what it is. The stuff that I've been getting lately, it just lends itself towards the more natural side of things. So I want everything as real as possible. And I think you just kind of look look at your scenario and build that accordingly. Like, I was shooting a girl in the kitchen the other day. And that doesn't need a lot. Like, for what we were doing, it doesn't need a lot of stuff. Like There's more negative aspects to that set than using lights. And then it's just controlling, controlling the lights that you have. So it, it just it didn't need to be complicated. And then in terms of camera, somebody was thinking about this last night. It, I find that you, you obviously use, you use what you know. And unless the idea really needs something special lens-wise, like I use a pretty basic package most of the time. Obviously the two things married together is like the perfect, the perfect thing. So if you have an amazing image, an amazing idea, that's optimal. Like I remember the first camera I had, I I used, and I bought was the Sony FS700. And I think it's an amazing camera. Like if you're shooting something that's not, too, not complicated, like you don't really have to worry about like shutter speed angles, or like if you're just shooting like a basic image, if you just need to get an image into the camera at 24, or actually 120 or 240, that camera is amazing. It's tiny, you have to figure out the menu system, but once you get past that, yeah, it's a like great camera. Like that if piece, I shot on that. Oh, wow. And people are like, oh, would you shoot that on red or Alexa? I'm like, no, FS700, super speeds. I think that just goes to show that you can really simplify things. It's just, you don't need to get carried away all the time with lenses and gear and cameras and things like that, for me personally.
0: Yeah. So when it comes, to... always <laughs> for <I just laughs> the caveat
1: for me. You guys yeah. can do what you want. Well,
0: no. I mean, if you look at like, the kind of work that you're getting and, and the accomplishments that you've had, it works. It, oh, thanks. It's, yeah. Because I'm
1: doing a lot of commercials lately. It's just realities on set. Like I was shooting a, a chocolate bar commercial the other day, and once you looked at what you had to do and you looked at the schedule, you're like, this has got to be, it's got to be an Alexa Mini and like a stripped down. We gotta move quickly. And the cameras got to fit in these little, all of these little nooks. like that. A lot of the scenarios that you have to shoot in dictate kind of what camera you get to use. That didn't need anything more than super speeds at the end of the day. If we talked about anamorphic at one point, we talked about a bunch of different lenses, but... For what it was at the end of the day, super speeds were perfect. because so There's light, they were light, they look great. There will be a anamorphic aspect ratio on some of it. I think when it goes into theater, but... That job didn't need anamorphic lenses. There are some shots we could not have done with anamorphic lenses. So a lot of times, the job kind of dictates the kind of gear you work with.
0: With your experience working with anamorphic lenses, saying that this job would have been difficult with them, what are some of the things that you've come across that make using an anamorphic lens
1: difficult or more or more challenging? Some of it's just like the workflow. Like generally, they're big lenses, and a lot of the jobs that I do, they're very physical and the last thing you want to do is like carry around a giant lens knowing that you're gonna have to swap it like five times an hour or something like that that's tough and to be honest for for what you get and this is tough because I I was just on an anamorphic lens panel it's tough it's tough when you just have jobs where you, you can't it doesn't make sense to use them and for a look that doesn't support the idea like that caribou legs dock we were lucky enough to get hawk v light, anamorphic lenses which is amazing because I wanted to use them anyway I just wanted to see what they were like and the only reason not the only reason but one of the main reasons why it appealed to me on that job was because they were so light because that whole job was handheld and I was by myself it was director producer and myself for the first bunch of days and then the second time we went out to shoot them we had a sound guy and we had a drone guy, so we didn't have a ton of crew. There are things about that lens that I did want to explore on that dock, but looking back, had I had that choice over again, I might not have chosen them. It was nice to use them and get to know them and know what they could do, but on that job it w- they weren't necessary. Were but they you? were great and yeah. I totally yeah. appreciate using them and getting them, but it just wasn't, wasn't necessary. And I remember there's another job that I did where the director was adamant on using anamorphic lenses. And I was like, would you rather have three anamorphic lenses or eight prime lenses? We went with the anamorphic lenses, and we should have gone with the eight prime lenses. Really? Oh, yeah. It was impossible to shoot some things because we had three kind of generic lenses. And that's a cost thing, too. So, you know, the jobs that I'm getting right now, if it doesn't actually, you know, elevate the idea, prime lenses. And lately, like, it's just the jobs that I'm on, you know? Like, they there's not a lot of time either and sometimes you're by yourself and it's like really hard to lug lug around a bunch of anamorphic lenses and pull focus by yourself running around for something that doesn't actually reinforce the idea enough to validate getting them
0: in that package you got you've built relationships with different rental houses and things like that and it's, mm-hmm. it's probably worth mentioning um, oh yeah
1: the guys at whites like brandon trevor jennifer sarah um ernesto Jono. all those guys are ernesto, amazing yeah. they're yeah. all great
0: yeah and that's that's the thing that that really stands as well like a lot of people i think are afraid to go to some of the bigger rental houses because they they think they're gonna have to pay a ton of money for their creative project where they don't have money and Mm -hmm. obviously those places have to pay their bills and they got to pay their employees they've got overheads and things like that but a lot of times you'll find that the people who are working there if it's a good reputable place they came from the same place we came from Mm -hmm. they're creative people they want to work on creative projects they've got their passions if it was just nine to five making bills and not building relationships and enjoying what they're doing then that company's not gonna not gonna last yeah totally i've got a lot of support and i'm sure you have when you have a creative project and you normally will take your commercial work to them that that maybe has more money and they can afford to pay standard rates for things yeah but when it comes time to like do something where it's it's a passion project and in the end that idea that that project that you that you you shot ends up getting you recognition at the CSC for something that you were passionate about and it actually shows it's not just you know a commercial piece that had a lot of money thrown at it to Mm. to be able to do whatever you want like you you made it work with very little but with the support
1: yeah totally like supports like relationships are so huge like so huge like throughout my entire career so far, like I like relationships are super important because you get so much from those friendships that you make from other cinematographers to like rental houses to audio guys to grips. Like it doesn't it just it's one of those things where I think this comes back to working with people who are good at what they do and building that relationship and then working them working with them later when you have something that's a creative opportunity. Like you know how it goes with with crew. Like sometimes you get on these runs and you kinda use the same crew and then you you end up using somebody else and then the guy that you usually use kinda gets offended and you're like it's just a reality of how it goes. You know, you get different things from different people. The guy that I'm using now, who's great, he told me that he wants to shoot features. Like he wants to get into like cool projects. And I know a few guys that I've used in the past, and it's totally cool. They've done that, and they've done that in the past, and you know they just want to do commercials, because for them and their lifestyle at this point, that makes sense for them. That's totally cool. But I know that I'm gonna get down the road at some point, either a feature or short or whatever it is, that's gonna be an amazing opportunity. As not gonna have any money. Like just that's just how it goes for everybody. Like if jobs come up, there's no money, there's no time. But they're amazing opportunities. Like, I know I can call him. And he's like, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow. with no question. So relationships are super important. I know if I go and say, you know, hey, Brandon, can you help me out on this thing? He'd be like, 100%. So relationships are very important in all aspects of shooting.
0: Uh, You did mention something to me once before about now your new lens choice is more in the Master Prime world.
1: So this is what happened. I'll tell you you what happened. So... Blade Runner came out, the trailer came out for Blade Runner. And everyone was just Brah like incredible. Like, obviously some of it is just because of the fans that like the original one. You know, their websites have taken each shot and they've like written about it and everyone's like, It's so beautiful, like it's amazing, like da da. da. It's just everyone's going crazy over Blade Runner. And it looks amazing. It looks amazing. And I think everybody knows Roger Deacon shot that. And Roger Deacon's has exclusively been using master primes since i think like 2008 2009 and it just kind of i don't know one day i was just thinking about it because you know if you had it anybody else blade runner i'd say probably in the higher 90 percent would have used some kind of amorphic lens just because that's you know that's the look it's like flares and you know it's futuristic it's sci-fi it's like messed like you know roger deacon's like nah Master (laughs) Primes like that guy doesn't even go to lens like he doesn't test any lenses he doesn't test cameras he uses Alexa and he uses Master Primes he wants the cleanest image It's, it's just a testament to his lighting and his composition the majority of my jobs I could probably just shoot on Master Primes like there's nothing about those jobs that I would say dictate using a super specific lens I've basically tasked myself for the next year on the jobs that I can to use Master Primes straight up and really work on composition, lighting, and the idea. And make sure that everything's coming through in the image that I'm getting. So yeah, that's what I'm doing. So, sorry, no more anamorphics, no yeah. more like, crazy, like, super ball no, like, nothing, just mass prime straight up. It's a cool challenge. See how it So far it's been really, like, I literally just shot a job with actually the same guys that I did caribou legs with, and we had Hawks on that job, and they fell in love with them. And they said, they came to town, we were doing uh, this job and they're like, oh, can we get this hawk again? I kind of said, yeah, you know, we can Let me tell you the story. I told him this exact story. I said look, I'm gonna try and shoot master primes for a year They're like, okay, let's do it because there's nothing about that job that really needed anything specific lens-wise and it's funny after he shot they went back to Squamish and he sent me like stills <laughs> stills of the job they're like, this frame's amazing. I love these. Those lenses are amazing. Like these mass primes, straight up. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's
0: important to have that confidence too, like mm. to be able to say to somebody, this is what I'm doing. This is what I am going to use. This is, this
1: is what's going to make it look great. Yeah. And also I think, I don't know how much of an advantage it is because I, I just don't know. But for me, growing up in advertising and having so many commercials and so many uh, onlines and... Transfers, like I have a pretty good idea what you can do in the offline. I know it's very important to get what you can in camera, but there's a lot that you can do like really easily in post. So I have a pretty good relationship with the guys at Alter ego and like I work there quite often. I know how to manipulate an image to look a certain way outside of like lenses and cameras, so that helps a lot. I think sometimes the guys get hung up on like certain things that happen on set or directors are like, oh, let's do this again, let's do this again, let's, or let's try this, let's try this. And A lot of times it's like, "Yeah, you know, we already have it. It's locked off. We can literally cut the frame two-thirds, take this take from, you know, fifth take, take this one that we just shot, and it's the exact same thing. We don't need to shoot. Let's just move on. Or even, especially using the OX a lot, like you're in there and you know how much range there is in that sensor. I remember I did a job for, it was a winter Olympics job. And we were running, and I had to grab something super quick. I was like, just let me grab the camera, I'm just gonna shoot this real quick. And I ran over and I shot it. I came back and I looked at it, and I was like, oh fuck. Sorry, I overexposed it. And I was like, ah. Anyway, it was one of those jobs where they were compiling footage. And I went in like two months later when they had the actual the transfer and we were watching it. And I saw the shot, I asked them like, can you go back to that one shot? I was like, is that my shot? They're like, yeah. Like, I, could not, I did not recognize it. I said, can I see the raw? So they went back to the raw, and it was almost blown out. But because the sensor is so good, they could just yeah, pull back. Mm-hmm. And literally, like, everything was there. I was shocked. Not to say, that like, obviously, you should expose things properly, obviously. But it's just nice to know sometimes that, like, you know your parameters, yeah, especially I mean, on commercials, especially, because you, sometimes you don't have a lot of time. And sometimes you set a light, and... It might be a bit too bright, but, like, we have to go. Like, we are running behind. We are, like, hours behind. We don't have time for that guy to climb up that scap and change. Okay, let's just roll. Because you know that you still I kind of have it.
0: Yeah, that's important to know, the back end, as mm-hmm. well as you do. Yeah. Do you spend much time at all in doing lighting tests, like all this new LED technology that's out there? Do you do, like, some guys are at the rental house like being like okay this LED's green I'm not going to use this set or are we going to get a set of HMIs but we can't blend this kind of light because it doesn't work like do you get into any of that stuff or you Not really
1: like a lot of stuff happens on set already there's some lights that I know pretty well but again it's like you know sometimes if something's a little bit off like something might be a little green I think it pays off to have a good gaffer and they can help you out with that but also I know that you know if that's a touch off I know I can just like in the transfer and it's gone like for me, it's like I want something where, obviously the light's right. You can get up quickly. There's not a lot of cables around. Let's just go. Like I don't want to. Like I don't want to wait. So LEDs are great because you can just like, like stick them around and like you put them on inside door panels and anything that's house power is like one point like those M 18s I love them because you can do so much with them. You can just plug in the wall. Yeah. And you can operate like I did a job where it was my it was just me. So I got a camera package. I got that light. I got a couple frames of diffusion, and that was it in a house. You just point it, scream it down, whatever. No, I'm not super tech when it comes to lighting. It's to me, it's more of how much will that impact their day and how many <laughs> cables are going to be like laying around.
0: Yeah. And I guess your education on lighting has come, you didn't come through a film school doing any of that stuff. So your education on that has come from the gaffers mm-hmm. and, and the crew that you have around and just being on set. Yep. Yep. Being on
1: set and behind the scenes videos, <laughs> lots of behind the scenes videos. That's the secret of that. I, I don't know a lot of people do that either. Like You can watch literally watch a movie, type in like behind the scenes, like Skyfall. You can watch 15 minutes and you see lighting setups, you see cameras, you see gear. That's a super important tool, especially now that people don't have the opportunity to get on set as much. Because that's where a lot of education comes from, being on set. So those times that you can't be, you can look at, two, like you can see, you know what I mean? Like You can see the final of the shot and you can kind of see how they got there. And what talking it, to Gafferson, yeah, grips on set.
0: what about, what about camera package choice? Do you spend much time in going in and you know throwing up a red, throwing up an Alexa, throwing up a Sony, and comparing to see what how they perform, low light, high light, all that stuff?
1: Nope No, nope. most of the time now I use an Alexa, just because I've been, I've been doing it for for quite a while now, like I don't need to do a lens or like a camera tests on it, and now with my whole <laughs> my master prime uh mandate mandate <laughs> no i don't I don't do a lot of, for what I've been working on I haven't needed to do any camera tests. I just kind of get a good package that I think covers kind of everything that could come up, and usually you're good to go No, It's very it's, simple no it's and it's good to
0: hear that because I mean so many people I get so caught up in what cameras better for this, what cameras, but if you find one that that works and it performs well and it does what you need it to, then like why mess around? spending all of your time with all this technology when you could be focusing on your craft Mm -hmm. i mean there's there's certain points where some people demand you have to have a 4k camera for whatever distribution Mm -hmm. broadcast things and it's like okay my workhorse that i want to use i can't use because of my limitations but then at that point we're lucky enough to have enough cinematographers in our that we know that we can talk to and get you know advice around it or you can do your research or you can Mm -hmm. just go and practically do your own your own tests and find out you know, yeah totally like nice when nice. That
1: something comes up obviously you have to that's beyond the package that you're used to obviously you need to go figure it out but yeah like when i started my fs700 was a like that was the best camera to me because there was nothing come up for ages that told me any different the only problem was it was mine so it was at the rental house and then i had to take it to the rental house that crazy sony menu like first had to figure it out I had used it so much that I knew it, but no, it wasn't in circulation, so a lot of people didn't know how to use it. So then that's when I started using red, and I used red for a while, which again, like once I figured it out, I was like, this camera is amazing, this is the best camera like ever, I can shoot everything, everything looks better. Blah, blah, blah. Then I did a job, and the director's like, yeah, we should probably use Alexa. I was like, yeah, but you know what? I used to use the red, it's pretty good, I think we can do it. He's like, no, you know, I think the dynamic range is better than Alexa. I was like, oh fuck. So then I had to figure out how to use an Alexa. And so far, I haven't run into anything that's been out of reach of the Alexa. So I've just been using that exclusively on almost everything. Yeah, it's nice too, because
0: the back-end workflow on it is pretty
1: straightforward mm-hmm. as well. Straight up, yeah. Yeah, I was watching a, another an interview with Nick Balduke and he shot Two Lovers in a Bear and they shot that on Alexa and they shot ProRes. Like, they didn't even shoot raw straight. like. He said they did test, they couldn't see the difference. ProRes. It was either workflow being up there it's just like ProRes. And it looks amazing. It looks amazing. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. I talked to Jeremy Benning about that on his work on The Expanse. And he's gone, uh, I believe, ProRes as well on that project. Obviously, there's there's other factors that that come to play, like depending on how much footage you're shooting as well. Yeah. You don't want to spend like, a ton of money on drives. Yeah, totally. And backup storage yeah. and all that
1: stuff. Yeah. But then, you know, if you're shooting a, like crazy effects and things, yeah, you might need to use raw just to make it a bit easier for the postcards. But yeah, the pros is amazing, especially seeing transfers and saying, that's another relationship, like having, you know, colors that you work with often. It's like, hey, can I come talk to you. Can we just look at this file and can you tell me what's the difference between four, 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 4 and the XQ? Is it worth shooting that extra bit of data? Sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no, they say on this stuff, on this stuff. It's like, okay, great. Then you can, you know, and you're like, what's the difference between ProRes and Raw? Really, on a job like this that we're doing, we're working on, do I need to shoot Raw? They're like, no. Or they say, yeah, and then you do it. Yeah,
0: who are you working with lately? Uh, Oh, I I work with... There are a bunch of people there. Yeah,
1: Eric Whip, Wade, Trisha, (laughs) Heger-Riles, Connor, Clint, like... Their whole team's great. Yeah, yeah. their whole team's really good.
0: Well, uh, I think I'll wrap that up right now. There's some other stuff we could talk about, but we'll save it for another day. Okay. Cool. Well, thanks. Uh, I'm Justin Lovell, and we've been talking with Stuart Campbell, a very well-accomplished DP in Toronto. Thank you.